0: The beginning of John's gospel awakens us to the beginning of Genesis 1. The beginning of John's gospel awakens us that there is a light in the darkness. Hearkening us back to uh, how creation came into being. But also inviting us to orient our lives towards the light and not the darkness. It's actually a universal theme that can be found throughout the entire Gospel of John. And one of my spiritual teachers says, when the universal becomes particular, then the particular can become universal. When the particular good news that seems so grand and grandiose becomes particular in our lives, then that particularity can become universal. We'll see it everywhere. This morning, we're going to turn later in John's gospel. We're going to turn uh, to what some call, some scholars have called this the farewell discourse in the gospel of John. It starts in chapter 12. Some argue it goes all the way through chapter 19. It is that many chapters of Jesus merely trying to say farewell, goodbye, you're going to be okay. And there is a universal theme to be found in that farewell discourse that I think if it takes on particularity in our lives, changes how we live, how we see, how we believe, and how we love. This morning, I want to tell you about that. But let us first listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. From the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to my father. Because the father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs. So that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, he has no power over me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, and let us be on our way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Awaken us, O God. Awaken us to your spirit that hovers here. Your spirit that hovers here in this sanctuary, just as she hovered over the waters of creation, reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they would be your word to us here, your word to us now. And breathe new life, O oh God, into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God, for you are our rock. And you are our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Often the greatest lessons we are ever taught are by those who are dying. Often the greatest lessons that we are ever taught are by those who are dying. I was 24 years old when I first met Vermel King. First time I met her, she smiled, she looked up at me, and she said, my name's Vermel, it rhymes with hell, that way you'll never forget me. Vermel was 92. If she were here this morning, she would have yelled from the back, I don't sound like that. Vermel didn't know she was dying. I mean, she was 92. She didn't know she was actively dying. Neither did I. I just went to meet with Vermel. Every other week, I visited Presbyterian Village over in Florence, South Carolina, about 40 minutes from the church I was serving in Hartsville. Every other week, I would go see Vermel. We did not know that Vermel was actively dying. She was 92, you know? We didn't know until one day uh, the church office phone rang. It was McLeod Hospital over in Florence. Turns out Vermel got admitted for a serious medical event. I got in the car, I drove 40 miles, I got to the hospital room, there Vermel was, and she said, It rhymes with, I go, I got it. Hi, Vermel, it's good to see you. What are you doing here? She said, I don't really remember, but they say I don't have long to live. For the next 90 days, not every day, but most days, I would go and visit Vermel. And Vermel taught me one of the greatest lessons that I would ever come to know about faith, and love, and grace, and frankly, about life. Because remember, it is often the dying who teach us our greatest lessons. For Mel, she didn't know she was teaching me anything. I just sat and listened. After you've lived 92 years, you have a lot to talk about. You have a A lot of life to report back on. You also have a lot of relationships that some are good, some are not so good. You also have some relationships that you hadn't thought about for a long time, but are in need of some serious attention, you know. For almost 90 days, I would sit and listen to Vermel reflect back on her life. If I would have just known, I would have. You know, so and so was so kind to me, even when I was a You know, my son and I, we haven't talked in almost 15 years. I don't know if he'd even answer my phone call anymore. You know, I really could be cranky back then. I don't know why. Looking at it now, it really wasn't that big of a deal. On and on. I uh, just, on my best days, had the good sense to listen. On my worst days, I would try to fix Vermel's stuff. You know, you ever done that? It's embarrassing to talk about, especially in public. On my best days, I would listen. And by the grace of God, I really do mean this. By the grace of God, on those best days, I would say, I don't know, have you called him? I don't know, have you told him that? I don't know. Do you think there's a different way to think about God? Those are my best days. And over that 90 days, Vermel, to her great credit, my friends, she started inviting people to that hospital room. And Peggy, she would say things like, you know, I was a real schmuck to you back in 1968. And I just want to say I'm sorry. It wasn't that big of a deal anymore. One afternoon, she picked up the phone. She goes, I think this is still his number. She called her son. First time they had talked to him 15 years. He answered uh, in a question, Mom? She says, Sweetheart, uh, I'm not doing well. Will you come and um, visit me? we got a lot to talk about. To his great credit, he found his way to McLeod Hospital in Florence, South Carolina. One day I said to Vermel, Vermel, it seems like you can see your life so clearly now. She said, yeah, Matthew, death has a way of doing that. I said, I know, but you just seem, seem so forgiving, so kind. It's almost like in this hospital room you found a love bigger than your own. And she goes, I have. I just wish I have lived this way the whole time. I said, what do you mean? She said, if I would have known a love this big and a forgiveness this big, if I would have, frankly, known a God this big, I I would have lived this way the whole time. You know, it is often the dying who teach us our greatest lessons. It's as if um, the universal had become particular for Vermel and her death, so that the particular could then become universal in her life. the lesson she was teaching us is we can pretty easily settle for scarcity in our lives. We can pretty easily look upon the world and think that there's not enough room, power, love, mercy, grace, money, achievement. Not enough room for us. We can view our whole life through the lens of scarcity. And it's like Vermel uh, fell into the abundance of God that had been with her her whole life. And she then, in that moment, thought, I could have lived my whole life this way. You know, it's often the dying that teaches us our greatest lessons. Jesus uh, was, in South Carolina terminology, fixing to die. <laughs> Chapter 12, he's trying to tell the disciples, I am going to die. It takes him seven chapters to say to the disciples, I know you are really afraid. If you go back and look up the etymology of that word scarcity, it frankly just means that you're scared. The disciples are scared about everything. I mean, they look at a woman who anoints Jesus' body with an alabaster uh, jar of ointment, and all they see is scarcity. You know we could have sold all that ointment and given the money to feed the poor. I mean, disciples, they're looking at it through the lens of scarcity. Jesus kneels down, washes Peter's feet. uh, Peter's feet, that was funny. Peter's feet. (laughs) And what does Peter say? He can't say thank you that would have been enough. Peter says, it is not enough, Lord, for you to wash only my feet, wash my whole body and my hair. Peter, it is enough. I mean, Thomas, poor Thomas. He thinks, but Jesus, if you die, who are we going to be? And this time, uh, Thomas has a companion, Philip. Philip says, you know what, Jesus? Jesus, I know all this is great that you're going to go to your father and all that nonsense, but here, here, here's the thing. If you're not here, like if you're not physically here, what do we do? And Jesus replies to um, their scarcity every single time. Every time in this farewell discourse. Jesus responds to their scarcity with an abundance they could not have imagined on their own. In fact, it's nothing new. It's the same party trick he's been doing the entire time in the Gospel of John. Every time the world looks at Jesus through the lens of scarcity, he responds with abundance. My Presbyterian friends, it's the very first miracle he does in the Gospel of John. They run out of wine at a wedding in Cana and they think the party's over. Jesus looks at water and says, I'll transform that water into wine. And not only will I transform it, you'll have more wine than you know what to do with. So much so that the chief steward will come and say, who was this that saved the best wine for last? Jesus says to Peter, it is enough that I washed your feet. And not only is it enough, Peter— I'm going to leave you with this commandment. You think you know how big my love is? Follow this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all that easy. Here's an expansiveness to this love. You know what? Thomas, Philip, I know you're scared that I won't be here. I know you're really scared about that. I love you. I can meet you in your fear, and your trembling, and in, in your abandonment, and I am going to give you an expansive love of God. We're going to call that person the advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that everything that you think that you don't have enough of right now, the Holy Spirit will always be with you. There is no place that you will go where I am not. I will not orphan you. I will not abandon you. The invitation to the gospel is to be oriented towards the abundance of God that is waiting for us. The good news of the gospel is to be oriented, our lives oriented towards the abundance of God that is waiting for us rather than the scarcity that we can settle into because we are afraid. And I'll pause here and say, yeah, there's a lot to be scared of in this world. I know. (laughs) That's why we need you. You can go, I don't know, it looks pretty good from where I sit. You can read the newspaper, you know, and you can um, choose to be rooted in what you read, and therefore when you uh, drive on Central Expressway, you can go, well, that person could do this to me, and that person could do that to me, and this person could do that, and then you can get off the interstate, and you can view everyone who is standing there waiting for you off the interstate through the lens of fear and not through the lens of belonging, and you can think this person doesn't deserve my fill in the blank. Time, money, resources, care, vulnerability, empathy, forgiveness, love you can walk around the world and look through the lens of scarcity and only see problems to be solved and that may be a good thing until you show up in your marriage that way or with your kids you look at them and you think I don't know they wouldn't do that like I did it I'll just prune them all over the place You can walk through the world through the lens of scarcity, and you could think that there's not enough love. Think about how many arguments we have had as a society that is actually rooted in that issue. I'll just say this. If there's one, I don't know of it, but of all the world's problems... Of all the world's problems, never has it been and never will it be too much love that leads to the problem. <laughs> you may uh, look at your life and think, I don't know, but there's not enough forgiveness to go around. You could. You could live. We could live our lives that way. We could be scared. <laughs> live out of scarcity but the universal invitation of the good news of Jesus Christ is to be oriented to the abundance of God. Friends, what would change about your life if you simply viewed your life through the lens of abundance? I'm going to pause here and say, we're the same Same. you can't achieve this. This is not like, well, Matthew, I'll go home, put abundance on a sticky note, put it on my bathroom mirror, and I'll achieve abundance. It's not that. What would change about your life if you were simply oriented, reoriented to the way of abundance of mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, life? What would change about your daily life? I think it would change everything. What happened? What would happen in your life if you um, viewed when you got really scared and it, it like welled up deep within you that you actually made friends with it and you go, I can choose to be afraid right here, but um, I'm going to make friends with that. I'm going to choose the way of Christ and try my best by the grace of God to follow abundance here. What would change about your relationships and your work what would change about the way you went to the grocery store? What would change about the way you called your mother or your mother called you? What, would you? what would it change about the way that you raise a beautiful baby in the world? I think it would change everything. I think that's why Jesus in this farewell discourse is saying to them over and over again, uh, be not afraid, fear not. I am with you. There is a more life-giving path than you can even see. This week, I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you to pay attention to your life, and when you feel like you're responding out of scarcity, I want to invite you to respond out of abundance, and I want you to pay attention to what happens. And then, I want you to email me about it. I want you to, one sentence... Email me. I am fascinated to know how the Spirit of the living God is waiting for you in your life. My email is on the back of the bulletin. I want to hear from you because this is what I know. As someone who met Vermel King at 24 years old and who has occupied the liminal space of life and death, for almost 15 years of my ministry. What Vermel taught me. Has been the great lesson. That continues to be taught. With every person I walk alongside of. So Vermel would say. Well if I would have known this then. I would have lived like this was true. Jesus says it this way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Orient your lives to the abundance of God, my friends. You can trust it. For it is the good news of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Afresh that we might see you the lens of abundance, that we might see the world abundantly, that we might dare to even look upon our lives in the same way, for you are a God of abundance, and we say thank you and amen.